Welcome to Karis. Um, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad you're, you're with us. If this is one of your first times here, we're so glad that you've come tonight, and um, we would love to, to welcome you. Um, there is a guest card in front of you in the, the pew back. Um, love it if you fill that out. Um, you could toss that in the, the box in the back, and we'd love to connect with you and, and help you get involved in um, one of our small groups that we call Missional Communities. You can also take that out front to the connecting table, and there's a gift bag that we would love to give you that has some information about our church. It has a free book as well. Um, we're glad you're, you're here. Um, we also, if you, there's a resource table out um, front, and in a basket there is what we call the field guide to, to private worship. It's a resource that we put together that's meant to help you connect with God um, on a daily basis. This is the new version. They're free. Make sure you take one as you leave as, as our gift to you. And um, they're, they're, on the screen, there'll be a few ways that if you want to partner with us to, to be in the city for the city um, on mission, um, we'd love, um, yeah, if you, you feel led to, um, to give to what we're seeking to do here in, in Karis. Um, Aaron Ferguson, who's one of our pastors here, uh, will be preaching to us um, out of the book of Luke, from Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read that and pray for him. If you're able, if you would stand in the hearing of God's word. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word of the Lord. Pray for Aaron. Thank you for your, your word, Lord, and, and your promise that they came to pass in, in Jesus coming to earth, um, living um, a humble life, one obedient to death, and now we can look forward to his um, return, Father. Um, I pray that will be our longing as we um, walk around in this broken world. Um, use our brother, your servant Aaron, as he preaches from this passage tonight. Um, give us open hearts, willing ears, um, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, church. It's so good to see everyone tonight. Uh, I don't know if you have seen these videos on social media yet, uh, but they're starting to become kind of popular. A little while back, there's this young couple, uh, no kids, and they make this video about what life is like as dinks, that is, a household with dual incomes, no kids. And they start off like, you know, we're dinks. That means something. They go back and forth saying stuff like, you know, we're dinks. That means we get at least eight hours of sleep every night. We're dinks. That means every holiday we'll be asked by our family when we'll start having kids. We're dinks. That means we're already planning our third vacation of the year. It's a little bit of an uh, insufferable kind of video, but just good fun. Uh, but since that original 
version came out, other couples have started to make their own versions of those videos. And I've also seen other, uh, you know, demographics of folks making their own versions of that video that stereotype their own lives. We're bald guys. We're boomer grandmas. We're from St. Louis. That means something. Well, Karis, this week, it's Christmas, and that means something. This Advent season, we've been doing a sermon series called Christmas Music, where we've taken a look at some of the poetic passages from the Christmas narratives or psalms with Advent themes in them. And so this evening, our final Christmas song that we'll look at is the pronouncement of the angel and the heavenly host to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth, that first ever Christmas Eve. And so as we look at this passage and this proclamation, I want us to see three things about what Christmas should mean for us. So, Karis, it's Christmas. That means that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Let's read the angel's announcement and the heavenly host song starting in verse 10. Look down at your Bibles with me. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now skip down to verse 14 with me for the heavenly chorus. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now to us, these verses probably sound so familiar that we imagine their context being a Charlie Brown Christmas special rather than ancient Rome. To us, these words sound great, uh, they look great in a calligraphy font on our Christmas card, but for Luke and the early Christian communities that he was writing to, these words had layers of deeper meaning. As a backdrop for uh, this birth announcement from the angels, let's look at a snippet of what was proclaimed throughout the empire when Caesar Augustus was born. Caesar Augustus is the ruler of the world named at the beginning of Luke 2. This comes from an ancient archaeological find called the, the Prien Calendar Inscription. It says, this is speaking of Augustus, Since Providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came reason of him. And it goes on to propose that the world's calendar be altered to revolve around his birthday. But did you catch all the similarities between the imperial announcement at Caesar's birth and the angelic announcement at Jesus' birth? On the one hand, Jesus' birth, it's great joy for all the people. Caesar's birth, supposedly, that he might benefit all humankind. Born to you this day, a savior. Providence sending him as a supposed savior. Peace on earth that Caesar might end war, ironically enough. Good news of great joy compared to good tidings for the world. 
And literally, in both cases there at the end, the word gospel, gospel of great joy, a gospel for the world. If you were here last week, then you remember me saying uh, probably too many times in one sermon the word subversive. Uh, And I also said that Jesus was the ultimate subversive. And this is part of what I mean right here. Jesus, even at his birth, undercuts the legitimacy of Caesar and the claims that he made about himself. Augustus referred to himself as Savior and Lord. And his own personal mythology was that he was the son of a Roman god. So aside from the historical events surrounding Jesus' birth, what Luke is trying to to communicate is even greater. He's subverting the ideas and the propaganda of the Roman Empire. Can I be cheeky for a minute? What would it look like if Jesus was born tonight in mid-Missouri? Out in the night, pig farmers, winter wheat farmers, they're wrapping up their work. Suddenly an angel appears. The farmers are freaked out. But the angel tells them, look, don't be afraid. The Messiah has been born. And get this, he's going to be the leader of God's kingdom to build it back better. He's going to make God's kingdom great again. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to those on whom his favor rests. I know that might sound a little bit sacrilegious to hear me say something like that. But that is what Luke is doing in his own context. He's co-opting the language, the ideals, the propaganda of his empire, redirecting them to Jesus. Luke tells us, don't think that Caesar can deliver what he's promised. He's no savior. His arrival is no gospel. Jesus, the true Lord, has been born. And church, of Jesus is Lord, then that means Caesar is not. Carus, it's Christmas. And that means a promise of peace. If you're going to, I know none of you would ever do this, but if you were going to fight someone, what would be your posture? What would be your strategy? Well, assuming you're trying to emerge victoriously from this fight, you would spend some time in training. You'd want to get fit and fast, stronger than your opponent, bigger than the person you're fighting, so that you can take them down. And if someone was fighting on your behalf, or if you needed someone to protect you, who would you hire to do that job? Someone big, someone strong, someone intimidating, not a wimp, not a shrimp. And yet, after centuries of waiting, when God finally sends the long-awaited Messiah... Who does he send? What's there for the shepherds to see? Let's look back at the angel's announcement and the heavenly choir song, verses 12 through 14. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So on that first Christmas Eve, God makes a decisive move to deliver humanity by sending a baby with a proclamation 
of peace. Traditionally, in battle, when one side is ready to stop fighting and begin peaceful negotiation, they'll put forward a sign, a white flag. When you see your opponent coming towards you with a white flag, that means they are not coming to attack you. They're coming to establish harmony, to build relationship. The angels announced that the Messiah has arrived. And if you want proof, here it is. A tiny baby, sleeping soundly, swaddled up in a white flag. In the Old Testament, one of God's mightiest acts of justice on sinful humans is the flood. God sees the continual wickedness of their hearts, the violence and the bloodshed of their hands, and he says, I must put a stop to this. I have to purify my world. So after the flood, Noah and his family, they exit the ark, they make sacrifices to God, and then God makes them a promise. In Genesis 9, he says this. Genesis 9, not a Christmas passage. But he says this. This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. In the story of Noah, the rainbow after the flood is a sign that God has laid down his bow that weapon of judgment, a sign of peace towards humanity. And in the Christmas story, God has laid down his own son as a sign of peace towards humanity. Christmas means that the way of peace between God and humans has been established. And that peace between God and humanity is also the foundation for peace amongst humanity. World War I, it's one of the most brutal wars in all of history. Just five months into the war, battle lines had been drawn, trenches had been dug. By late December 1914, armies on both sides were already beginning to run short on manpower and munitions and morale. So the German emperor, he sends Christmas trees to a frozen western front. As soldiers begin to set up the trees in their trenches, they sing Christmas carols. The trenches were not far apart, and so the sound of singing didn't have to travel far to be heard. Knowing that the German forces had let their guard down for the holiday, the British and French forces responded by singing Christmas carols too. Orders eventually came from the commanding officers that they were uh, there on the battlefield, that they were not to fire unless fired upon. And by Christmas morning, soldiers from both sides began to climb out of their trenches to exchange prisoners, to bury their dead. But then they continued to move towards one another in the middle of no man's land. Before long, troops from the Allied forces, from the Central Powers, began to socialize with one another exchanging cultural artifacts as gifts, eating and drinking together, and some historians say even playing pickup games of soccer with each other. Now, sadly, this Christmas armistice did not bring an end to the fighting 
on the Western Front. And there were many horrors yet to take place there. But for a few days at least, these warring parties, many of whom were brothers in Christ, recognized that Christmas means a proclamation of peace. Church, our world is full of war this Christmas, like it usually is. Wars in Ukraine, wars in Israel-Palestine, wars in Yemen, wars in Myanmar, and other forms of fighting all across the globe. I love the tweet that I saw from a pastor in D.C. this week. He just said, Advent means war has an expiration date. Christmas means peace. It has been proclaimed by God, by his messengers, and it is being waged by his son and by his people. Cursed church, it's Christmas. And that means, lastly, the revelation of God's glory. Let's look one more time at the song of the angelic chorus, Luke 2, 14. They sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Above and before anything else, Christmas is about displaying the glory of God to people around the world. What is the glory of God? One theologian, Christopher Morgan, defines it this way. He says, as we survey the whole story of Scripture, the glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of his many perfections, which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in order to make his glory known to those in his presence. I love that. The magnificent worth and loveliness and grandeur of his many perfections. At the birth of Jesus, the host of heaven, they come down to praise and to glorify, that is, to make known the glory of God. It's like Mary's praise that we read last week in our passage, where she magnified the Lord to increase his praise. In the Old Testament, God's people sometimes had a complicated relationship with his glory. It was so good, so beautiful, so perfect, that it couldn't always be experienced in its fullness. When Moses meets God in the burning bush, he hides his face. When Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple, he's like, oh, I'm done for. The glory of God is so perfect and so holy and overwhelming that for sinful humans like us to experience it actually puts us in danger. But thankfully, something new was taking place on that first Christmas morning. The beginning of the book of Hebrews tells us this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus doesn't just show us a small part of God's glory. He is the shiniest part of God's glory. If you want to know what God is like, take a look at Jesus. So the shepherds, they run across the fields. They're like excited kids coming down the stairs or the hallway ready to receive the gift that they've waited their whole lives for. This is the Red Ryder BB gun. It's the Turbo Man action figure. They don't even realize that they're about to come face to face with God himself. They should be freaked out. They should be worried. 
but they see God more clearly than he had ever been seen. They see a baby, a baby whose coos and whose cries created the world and were at that very moment upholding the entire universe. Christmas means the revealing of God's glory in Jesus. Okay, church, we've seen what Christmas means, but as we wrap up, let me tell you what Christmas means for you. Christmas means that Jesus is Lord, and so Caesar is not. For you, that means don't rest your joy, ground your hope, or put your trust in anyone or anything else. Not a present, not a party or platform, not food, not even family, not a ruler, and not your right decision-making. Jesus alone is Lord. Christmas means that peace has been proclaimed. Proclaimed to you, established in Jesus, and then to be brought through you with your friends, with your family, tonight and tomorrow. Bring the peace that is promised by Christmas. In our world, pray for the peace that is promised by Christmas. Between you and God today, experience the peace that is promised by Christmas. Christmas means that God's glory has been revealed in his very own son. So for you tonight, as you go, tomorrow morning, as you wake up and travel, let's take our cue from the shepherds who first experienced God's glory, the glory to which we have an opportunity to even know more deeply. Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. As you go this evening, go in the peace that Christmas brings, sharing with, the, uh, sharing with those the good news and the great joy that is for all people. Let's pray. Father, we glorify you along with those shepherds this evening. You deserve honor and praise because you are the one who came to us on that very first Christmas. God, you sent your son to be the true savior, to be the true deliverer, the true Lord. God, he came to make your peace known to us and show us what you're like. God, I pray for this congregation, for the adults, the students, the kiddos this, uh, this evening, that your word would be clear in their ears and in their hearts. God, would you fill us with joy? Would you fill us, would you fill our world with peace tonight? We know these things are possible and that they will come to pass through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.